Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Show in association with Cadbury Boost. We're coming live from the Aviva Fan Studio here at the Aviva Stadium today where there won't be a title decider this weekend. England wrapped up the title on Saturday with a convincing win over Scotland. Joining us is Eddie O'Sullivan. How are you Eddie? I'm good, thanks. And we're going to look at Ireland's close range failings against Wales, talk about Joe Schmidt's performance as a coach and maybe look at Peter O'Mahony's inclusion in the Ireland uh, lineup. Eddie, we've had a couple of days to look back. How do you reflect on that Irish performance now? Um, Hugely disappointing like everybody else, but I think we can't really complain about the way we played. I know we will point to the fact that all for that mall that seemed to be rumbling over that, you know, Robbie Henshaw joined illegally, we might have scored there, could have changed the whole game. And I could have, but I think over the 80 minutes we just really didn't get, get it done. Um, Line-out issues again, a problem. And certainly the thing for me that worries me is that the second half we dominated possession, 60-something percent possession, dominated territory. and really had three points to show for it and I think that's a concern in terms of where we're going with our attack. Yeah, loads in that, we'll, we'll touch on a few of those different points, but just in terms of what England provided in that 61-21 win over Scotland, is there a bit of fear now maybe with them coming to Dublin? There's always fear against England, but when they're in this sort of form, yeah, you'd have to worry that if they hit the straps and we're not really dialed in, they could you know, give us a right hook and, and, and they're capable of that, we saw that, like Scotland aren't a bad team overnight, they gave us enough of it. Uh, but they were like deer in the headlights in Twickenham. Now Twickenham's a tough place to play. I mean, it's a very intimidating stadium and they do play with a bit of strut there and it's different coming to Dublin. I don't think we're going to get any hit anywhere near like that, but I think we're going to have to get a lot of things right to stop this English juggernaut at the moment. Yeah, well, some of the things Ireland did get wrong in Cardiff were those uh, conversion of the five-metre chances. A couple of really big incidents in the game. In the first half, there was the five-metre line that Alan Wynne-Jones picked off. Superb read, actually. Jo uh, Sean O'Brien kind of stepping in from receiver to lift. He read it really well. And there were a couple more in the second half. We're going to look at that one you mentioned before, Ed, uh, Robbie Henshaw joining them all. Uh, just to run through it again, not that people probably want to be reminded of this, uh, but we see here in the top left, Irelander mulling towards that Welsh try line. The progress wasn't quite uh, dynamic, but they were kind of walking it over the, uh, over the line. I think, I it, was think it, was, it was going forward yeah. and it was going to be very hard for Wales to stop it. You know, I think yeah. anyone looking at that, I thought we were in. I really felt we're going to get in here, yeah. um, even without Robbie Henshaw joining. And yeah. That was the, the sad part. Well, this is Robbie Henshaw here. He's, he's arriving in, uh, kind of coming from the right. Roy Best there is on the ball. He's the ball carrier. So Henshaw really needs to make sure that he's binding onto that ball carrier. That's the first thing he's got to look to do. He actually gets on here, just to the right of, of Roy Best. And I think... Paul O'Connell said in the commentary, if he can just get a, an arm onto Rory Best there on the left, even an arm and join actually alongside him, he's actually going to bind on the ball carrier. Instead, look, he, just here in the bottom left, he gets just ahead of Rory Best's right arm. Um, and by the time Rory Best is going over the trial and Robbie Henshaw is right in front of him. Yeah, he's blocking. Easy, easy decision for Wayne Brown. No, no brainer, he has to make that call. I mean, Robbie Henshaw was blocking in front of. I mean, and th this is a new kind of diktat in the game. You might have got away with it couple of years ago but even then something that blatant close to the line referee is to look at it and say is Robbie Henshaw preventing a Welsh player defending the ball and he is so by any metric it's a penalty you know Barnes had to call it he kind of said sorry guys that's the law but he's right and you have to make that like if the short colours were reversed if that was Jamie Roberts came in and Wales scored we'd be jumping up and down with our hair on fire and rightly so like that is a penalty and it's it was a huge moment in the game if we'd score there, I think we had a shot. No, no don't cut ourselves. Wales would have come roaring back. And, you know, the, the thing about last Friday night that I felt before the game, but I felt it all season, but even more so before the game, Wales had no out on Friday night. They had no out. They had to win. Yeah. And that was going to, you know, make it very difficult for us. But that was a chance missed. 
don't think it guarantee we'd have won the game, but it certainly would have put us in a driving seat going into the, the last the last yeah. bit of it. I mean, Robbie Hensher says afterwards we asked him what happened. He said, I, I didn't know the, the rules. He said, a player like that should surely know the laws of the game, especially a guy who does actually join malls from time to time for Ireland. Well, yeah, there's law adjustments all the time, slight changes in interpretation, and that, that that's a fact since the start of this season, or going back even to maybe two seasons now, about the blocking at the mall, and he should have known that. Yeah. Every player was told that you, the law changes and the... They know it applies to everybody, not just the forwards. Yeah, yeah, he had a great game. Apart from that, it was, it was unfortunate that it was him. He was one of the outstanding Irish players, I thought. A couple of good performances in there. We have another example just a couple of minutes later in the, in the game and Ireland are in a similar zone. This time it's from a, a scrum, five-metre scrum after some brilliant pressure from Peter Romani at the line which we'll come back to. Um, Wayne Barnes tells Ireland to use it. I think Joe Schmidt was a little bit frustrated with that. He thought the Irish scrum was moving forward. But listen, you've you got to play off it in a zone like this. Uh, Johnny Sexton's first receiver there. And he's going to go out the back door of Henshaw to Gary Ringrose just here. Um, the, the pass from Sexton actually puts Ringrose under a little bit of pressure because Wales are obviously going to be shooting up hard off the line. And Ringrose there is just about to pass inside. Earls gets just slightly ahead of him. The timing is just off. The execution is off. Knock on. Henshaw picks up the ball. And it's a penalty to Wales when you really should be put, applying more pressure on that. Was it... To me, it was a slightly complicated play, like against France, down just down here. Yeah, Robbie Henshaw just carries the ball, and that's generally. Well, what that was do. a different was plan against France because they knew they wanted to basically plough over the defence. You know, they they attacked um, the number ten. Just a different strategy. They could have used Robbie Henshaw, a safer bet to pl plug it up there and then go after the pick and jam. Um, the play itself is not a very difficult play, not very complicated. But it's a slide and drop where he slides out and drops the ball inside. Um, but if you do it, you got to do it well. And you know, Ireland always talked about their accuracy and everything they do. That was sloppy play, and we paid a big price for it. Um, having said that, even if it comes off, Wales have seen that play before. I mean, I don't know if they've been caught completely cold. I mean, it's gone under the sticks. Yeah. But look, you won't know because we didn't do it. Um, if you put, if you try to play it, you got to get it done. You saw the accuracy of the Welsh strike. You know, okay, Jackson came over his line, but once. That gap opened, they were in and through like it's a for shot. The first George North yeah, try, for yeah. the first George North try. That was a really. And we saw them, they, they, they split England wide open in, in the English game. Uh, Liam Williams scored off a set play from a scrum. So the Welsh tend to use those players now again, and they do them very accurately. And if you're going to do that, you've got to do it accurately. We were sloppy. Key moment in the game, yeah, and we, we left maybe a chance behind us, but again, no guarantee we'd have gone under the sticks on that one. Yeah, and, and it was something we actually had in the show with, with the Welsh attack. I thought in that particular play, they, they adapted a kind of very well because I feel like Jackson was actually aware of oh, Liam Williams is in behind they've used him before in the screen right. there's lots going on but yeah it was but Jackson probably should have held the line there's no if you're going to come out the, the general golden rule about defence if you come out of your line you're going to stop the football mm. because once you come out of the line the gap between the two defenders behind him is too big to fill and that's where they went through and good Welsh play he, he, he made the mistake coming out if he held his line he might have had to make a tackle, and that, that's a different scenario completely. Yeah, I thought it was a little unfair of Joe Schmidt to kind of single Paddy Jackson out. I know that is a, a poor error, but I mean, other players made errors, and he, he referred to it twice without being prompted. I just thought it was a little bit unfair to single him out. What about Joe, what about Joe Schmidt's kind of role in all this? First of all, the, the game plan Ireland used and, and how they attacked. There's lots and lots of questions. Um, I think we're going to take one, actually. Uh, Darren McDonald asks us, um, have we become predictable in attack, and can Joe Schmidt change it if so? Like, is that predictable tag fair, do you think, Eddie? I think it is at this point, because you look at uh, the statistics that we've struggled to break teams down. You know, we, we have had some games where we've, we've got tries, but generally in the big ones, like teams like England, and again, Wales the other night, Wales two years ago, we, we've, we've really struggled to break them down. It seems like they have our number. I mean, they shut down our back row. Um, and we have tinkered a little bit with our attack. We saw against... Uh, 
branched the wraparound rock kind of well. We, 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 we picked out Fico, he seemed to be a bit at sea. But early in the game in Wales, we had a, little, a couple of little wrinkles like that. And Wales struggled a wee bit, but then they, they, they recognised what's going on and they steadied down. And after that, they were very comfortable in defence. I think one of the problems is for us is that everybody and his mother knows that our, the fulcrum of our attack is always Jonathan Sexton. So if you focus in those channels and you, you, you're smart in those channels, you can make a good read usually. And like we do need to look at moving the strike point and not always being off Sexton. If you see, and we'll talk about England, how they're using two playmakers and it's kind mm. of causing mayhem as it did for Scotland. So we may ha have to look at, you know, everything can't revolve around Jonathan Sexton. And you saw again, when you put somebody like Sexton in that playmaker role all the time, the amount of traffic he's in is huge and he gets the lard knocked out of him a good bit as well. And nobody was targeting Jonathan Sexton the other night. He was just getting hit because he, he was, in, he was in, the, in, in, in the area where there was action. Yeah. And um, look, I think teams have got our number in that respect about where we're running our rolling plays out of their notes, everything's around Sexton, and they've shut down our back row. I mean, our back row went through a lot of work on Friday night for very little dividend. You know, Sean O'Brien, and people say, look, I'm, I'm giving Sean O'Brien a hard time, I'm not. I think Sean O'Brien tried his guts out on Friday night, but he had 13 carries for six metres. He's very uh, in congested zones. He's well, he's in traffic all the time. And look, if I'm coaching against Ireland tomorrow and Sean O'Brien is starting, he's the first guy I'm going to shut down because we know if he gets into space and he gets free, he's going to cause mayhem. So you don't let that happen. And like two years ago, they shut us down in Cardiff as well. And they shut us down again Friday night. We are dividend from our back row carries. Apart from CJ Standard, who had a, a very good game, but even one of his carries was a bit of a barnstorm and run down the wing. But other than that... Yeah. You know, but on that, they we're not getting much yardage out of our back row. So the combination of shutting down our back row and shutting down our plays out of Sexton, the smart teams are able to do that. And that makes it very hard for us then to really get on the front foot and play. You know, yeah. And we do get narrow as well when we get into that final third of the field, final quarter of the field. Which we've discussed quite, quite, yeah. quite often. Like Joe Schmidt bristled in the, in the press conference afterwards. He was asked, is Ireland's attack too predictable? Is there enough variety there? He, he, he seemed very put out by the, by the suggestion. He, he pointed to a lot of the width they got in the game. And they are going to wide channels, especially with the 22s. I think, I think they're attacking as ambitiously in, in kind of mindset as anyone. But maybe the execution and the decision-making is off. And if you're relying on Sexton to be the guy who does it, what, if it gets in someone else's hands and it's Robbie Henshaw, say, making the decision, or Ringrose, maybe Well, you've got to have there. more playmakers around the field. If all the playmaking comes out of one guy, it's, it's not as difficult to make a read on things. And maybe we pass the ball around a bit, but the outcomes are not what we're looking for. You know, we're not tearing teams to shreds. Um, yeah. Like, we, w and it's against, the, in the Six Nations, against the teams who are going to front up on the day. Of course we can run Italy ragged, but Italy are coughing up an average of 40 points a test at the moment. Like, that's not a, a metric to go on, you know. And the French defence, we know, is ropey anyway. Now, I will admit, and, uh, and I said it the last day, had stayed dry in the Viva here, um, on the day of the French game, we probably would have got a couple of more scores because they were struggling. But, but that's poor defence. We're good against poor defences. We're not as effective against good defences. And it's the good defences against the better teams that are going to make us work for our points. Yeah, it's obviously a complex issue in terms of how a team attacks and uses possession. For me, I find it hard to understand how something can change drastically in the space of a week. But, but can it? Do you think Ireland can drastically alter things or do they need to drastically alter things or is it a couple of little tweaks? For well I think we've got to stop tweaking you know I mean like we've got to start thinking about using more playmakers across the field and, at, and attacking um, in different areas of the field. Who are those, play who are those possible playmakers? So? Well the playmakers have got to be your centres as well and your full back you know I mean like you can change your, your, your attacking shape from week to week I mean 
it was always my philosophy to change our attacking shape week to week. It depended who we were playing. For years, we played England in the three-pod attack, like Connacht used, you know, pod in the middle, two pods wide. Played that against England because they played a soft, tight drift defence. Against South Africa, when they played up and in, we went to the line off the first receiver and tried to go through them. You know, uh, other teams that were kind of a mid mid-speed line, we played off the second pass. And people like O'Driscoll and O'Gara and Darcy, um, any Jordan Murphy. You know, they, all those guys became playmakers at certain times. Uh, Gervin Dempsey, you know, you, you've got to get guys in that are, with, with their hands on the ball with decisions to make. Mm. But I think at the moment, a lot of our, our, our attacks are Fulcrum is Johnson Sexton, and teams know that. Uh, Henshaw, Ringrose, Carney don't really play playmaker roles at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think that makes it easier for defences to know where the action is going to be yeah. and then get into those spaces and make smart decisions in defence. Yeah, they kind of have toyed with a little bit with Zebo, but it hasn't. It seems like an incidental feature at times. It hasn't really developed into a consistent trait of the game. Like we've seen him step into first receiver. He's extremely creative. He's got a grubber kick. He's got a pass. Maybe they need to. And that was when he was in first receiver when when Johnson Sexton was on his backside. You know, yeah. because someone had to jump in there, and that's fine too. But as a strategy, you know, I think we are very heavily dependent on Johnson Sexton running the show, and I think that makes us vulnerable to being predictable in terms of teams yeah. looking at us and saying, yeah. If we're smart around these areas, you know, we, we won't be under too much pressure. Yeah. Another guy we're heavily reliant on is Conor Murray. Um, there's been, an, an, again, a bit of a backlash against Joe Schmidt in this regard. We're going to look just briefly to remind people of what happened with Conor Murray. Um, in the top left, we see him making the tackle here on, on, on George North uh, at 30 minutes and 9 seconds. So that's when he initially gets injured. A stinger, according to Joe Schmidt. Uh, Murray plays on from the very next scrum. Murray's in the line here. And you can actually see Dan Bigger just pointing at him, shouting at George North, run at him, so immediately yeah. Wales are looking to, to target him. Um, he makes another hit, goes down again, Wales don't get back to him again, but again, Mur Murray plays on, and his very first pass after that second collision, uh, he's just here, you can actually see him, he's kind of bent over in pain, um, and he's trying to hit Robbie Henshaw straight off the scrum, but the pass is, is really low, like, and especially with a scrum half like Conor Murray, only when he makes a poor pass you realise how generally brilliant yep. his consistency is. Um, Joe Schmidt called it 15-20% efficiency, but the really damaging example was here, uh, uh, Tyg Furlong, um, and you know it's not the worst pass in the world, but he is stooping and he knocks this ball on. I think Tyg Furlong needs to do better with this, mm. he puts his head up and looks at Justin Tipperick. But from that scrum, Wales go into the Ireland 22 and Johnny Sexton ends up getting a yellow card, they concede three points, so you can link that to back to Conor Murray being yeah. on the pitch when he to most of us, look clearly injured. Was that a, was that an error of coaching? No, I don't think so. I'll tell you what I think happened there, and I'm, from what we're hearing, um, I can understand why they, they stuck with him. Um, he did take a hit, and he did have what they call a stinger. That's the word that was used. And a stinger is when you get a knock on the shoulder, for people who don't know, and you get a numbness down your arm. It's like a trapped nerve. But a lot of these things, they actually loosen out if you play on with them. It's very uncomfortable. Um, but it, it loosens out. Now, it doesn't loosen out after 10 or 15 minutes, then you've got to come off. But you need to give a player a little bit of time to see if he can kind of run it out. If there's like a, a knock on your knee, you'd run it out. So I think they had to leave him on there. Now, he was definitely compromised and he was definitely struggling with his pass and there were definitely errors off it. But had they taken him off there as injured, that was it. He was done. He was dusted. He was out of the game. And I think they wanted to get him to half time, give him the half time break to see if the medics could work on him as well, which they can. Uh, and then go out in the second half and see how he went. And he came out in the second half and he didn't make it. So the strategy that we're trying to do of keeping him on the field, um, given that he might recover from it. And again, I wouldn't, to be fair to the coach, I don't think it was a coaching decision. I think it would have been a medical decision. They would have gone on and said, he's got a stinger. We're going to give him a few minutes to see if he can you know, shake it out. Yeah. Uh, he won't be right in the meantime. And I think that was a, f 
it was a reasonably way to manage it. Now, if, if he'd shaken it off, we wouldn't be even discussing it. Yeah. You know, but they didn't know that when they made the decision. Those stingers can often go away, and you're fine. Um, players get them all the time, they shake them off. He couldn't shake it off, he had to come off. But I think they were right to give him the chance to shake it off rather than just pulling him out of the game. And I, I don't have any issue with that. They were unlucky that he, he, he ended up having to come off of it. But as a strategy of trying to keep him in the game and give him a chance to recover, I thought was very smart. Yeah, really interesting insight. And I, I totally agree with you, especially with a player who's so important. Well, that's that again, he's such an important player to yeah. the team that you're shanking him off. And then he could be sitting in the stand in 20 minutes and if he's fine, you're going to feel like a real idiot. But look, it didn't work out. But I don't have any problem with the way they okay. try to manage that situation. Yeah. It was actually Jay who sent in that question. Thanks for that. There's actually a couple of questions about the use of the bench as well, though, Eddie. Um, three players come on after the game is lost. Your your Hattie Jackson sent on, Tommy Bow only used at that stage when there was already questioning why was Tommy Bow on the bench in the first place. Was there maybe deficiencies in that er area? And CJ Stander, in particular, coming off has been has kind of drawn a bit of ire from yeah. the Irish fans. Well, I think. Taking CJ Stander off was a bit of a surprise to me. I didn't think he was tiring that much, and he was having, he was our best backer on the field. To be fair, he was having the biggest impact. His work rate was outstanding. So I, d I don't know what what was in the coach's head, and I'm not trying to get into his head. I mean, he has his reasons for it. Um, I think the sub three substitutions in like the 78 or 79 minutes, I think, is just getting guys on the field and getting guys off. You know, I think maybe saying, look, there's a minute left. I get feel really stupid if I got hurt in the last minute when he's tired. But I don't. Think there was any idea that was going to change the, the trajectory of the game, the game was over. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a bucket of steam really, it doesn't change the result, it wouldn't have changed the result. The question is, could he have made those changes earlier in the game? Would they have impacted on the game? Were those changes he made late in the game something he should have done earlier? I don't know, I think looking at it, I can understand, and I used to do this as well myself, when you start making changes, and we see teams, you know, our coaches make changes in games just because before the game they decided I'm going to make a change on the 65th minute, yeah. I'm going to spring a back row. Um, I, I've never agreed with that philosophy. I think maybe with props because they're, they do tire. And if the guy coming off is going to add some zip to it, for sure. But take a back row scenario. If a player is playing well and the back row gelling well and the game is right on the hopper, it's a one-score game, and suddenly you, you trot a fella off the bench who's got to get into the speed of the game and get up to it, and he makes a mistake or he disrupts the balance of the back row or he misses a line-out lift, you know, and the game is a one-score game. So... I think making those changes, for me, there was three reasons to make a change. One, there was an injury, which is obvious. Two, the guy was tiring or he wasn't playing well. Mm. Or three, the guy coming in then was going to change the dynamic yeah. of the game. Schmidt said it was a tactical one, CJ Stander, he said it was tactical. Yeah, well, I, I don't know what he's, he's thinking on that, and, and, and I'm not saying he, he knows exactly what he wants out of that. Yeah. But I thought Stander was having a, it was prob well, not probably, I think he was our best backer on the night. He had got through mm. the most work and he had had biggest impact. Maybe he was flagging a bit, I don't know. Uh, I didn't see that. Interesting one, though. We'll see how he uses the bench against England. And he did, Joe did mention that England's bench is particularly powerful and, and makes a big difference in the game. Sure. We'll come back to the Vienna yeah. Polar Brothers. I want to just briefly look at the yellow card and ask you for your thoughts on that decision. We have it up here. Uh, Johnny Sexton has made the tackle here, a good tackle on, on Jonathan Davies to save a try. Uh, Jonathan Davies kind of rolls his body over on top of Sexton and, and kind of pins him down. As you would. Yeah, as you would. If you can't blame him. Ireland have done that many times in, yeah. in the past. Uh, and then two more arriving Welsh players kind of trap Johnny in and he, he just can't get out of there at this stage. Well, he was never getting out. Once he, he fell in there, he was never getting out. Yeah. Yeah. It is a fair yellow card on the basis that the law is that if you fall on the wrong side of the football and, and stop him from coming back, it's a penalty, and if that's like in a try scenario, a try, potential try scoring scenario, it's a yellow card. So again, Barnes followed the law. We can say he was trapped. He was trapped, but he sh he had to know making the tackle. If he fell in there, there were going to be ramifications. It was going to be a penalty. 
for a start and where it was was going to be a yellow card. It was a, it was a penalty if it was out on the halfway line. It's a yellow card because it's a metre out. If Jonathan Sexton rolls away there and that ball's available, Wales pick it up and fall over the line. Yeah. Now, again, reverse the colour routine. Put red jerseys on, on green and green on red. If that was Dan Bigger was killing our ball, we'd be jumping up and down looking for a yellow card as well. So yeah. I think it's harsh because, yeah, you can say he's trapped in there, but he knows making the tackle that if he puts himself in that position, he's going to get penalised and carded. So he's got to make sure he doesn't fall into that position. And that's the way it's refereed. Is it harsh? It is. That's the way they're refereeing the game. You know that going in, and you've got to take the consequence if it happens. Yeah. There were a couple of instances, I think Joe Schmidt referred to them after the game, when CJ Sander made that bust down the left, he fended Scott Williams, ran over the top of halfpenny, and Ross Moriarty kind of killed the ball. It probably wasn't as, as blatant as that, and I don't think people were jumping around saying yellow cards straight away, but you add that to a collapsed mall a couple of minutes later, and then there was a penalty against Justin Tibrick, which I know, and, and Sam Warburton on the turnover, I know you think it was probably a little bit harsh on Wales, yeah. that penalty, but I think that was Joe Schmidt's gripe, that it wasn't kind of refereed the same. Well, you know, I'll go back a couple of weeks to here when France played Ireland, and I thought um, the referee was very harsh on France a few times, and there was nobody talking about it after the game, you know, there were a few calls that went against France for Ireland, uh, you know, um, from Nigel Owens, I thought he was extremely hard on France, cost France about six points in that game. And nobody was complaining after the French didn't complain. Look, it happens in games. He's not going to get every call right. And I know there was times we got lucky as well, you know, in, in, in situations um, where we could have been penalised as well. So I don't think, I think the debate about, about um, Wayne Barnes is, 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 is a pointless exercise. I think the guy did a really good job in a, in a high-octane game with incredible physicality and tension, which is not actually his best arena. He, he's not... He's actually most comfortable as a referee in that arena. He's mm. very good on law. I thought he did a very good job. I don't think he was the guy, the reason we lost. I don't think he's the reason Wales won. Uh, I don't think he should be part of the conversation after the game. Yeah, I actually agree with Jetty. <laughs> I kind of had to ask the question because people are wondering about it. Um, in terms of what Ireland are going to do next with their, with their team selection, there's obviously calls for, for changes and a few guys may be under pressure. One of the guys... Well, I think you should always say, yeah, it's easy to say let's change the team, but to be fair to any coach, and particularly the current coach Josh made in the situation in, it's a tough scenario for them now. So making changes for the sake of changes is a waste of time. He's got to make changes that he thinks is going to make things better against England. If you're playing another team next week, you might do different things, but this is all about one game now at the end of the championship to save the championship somewhat. So anything he does has got to be about how does this work against England? And is it going to be better to have this player on the field as against that player on the field against England? And that's what it's all about now, before you discuss any aspect of selection. Yeah, absolutely. In that sense, Peter Romani is one of the guys who's pushing. Uh, we're going to look at an example. This is just before the five-metre scrum we, we analysed a little bit earlier on. Um, and this is actually Peter Romani forcing that five-metre scrum with his really good competition. He's here at the front of the line-out, matched up with Justin Tipperick. Um, and Ireland haven't really had the strength of a jumper at the front of, P of Peter Romani's calibre. He gets up here just on a really explosive spring. He's the best jumper. Um, Devin Toner said before the, the Welsh match that he used to be able to lift Peter Romani and he'd be coming out of his hands. Yeah, he's, he's got great explosiveness. Um, and he's quick along the ground as well. Defensively, yeah, his footwork. he can get from A to B and get up very quickly, which yeah. is another important aspect of defensive liner. It's not just a jump, it's getting to the point of the jump very quickly along the ground. And that's why uh, you can steal a ball. The, the, the opposition see the space, they throw to that jumper, but by the time the ball gets to him, you've moved your defence in and up and you need someone of that explosiveness to make that happen. Yeah, because in this instance, you know, it's a, it's a poor delivery down to Gareth Davies. 
um, and then Ryan and, and Marmy can tackle behind the line. Another try scoring chance for Ireland that possibly should have taken it and won the match. But that was the we talked about. Yeah, exactly. It shows the impact Peter Manning can make. In terms of that line out, where, where is the well, look, and There's a lot I've of questioning been, about it. I've well. been beating this drum a little bit, well, more a little bit right to the championship because I felt going into the championship with two line out jumpers. And the first week, I, I felt you know we're a little bit compromised even with two because it wasn't Dunica uh, Ryan. It, it it was Ian Henderson went into the Scottish game, and we had two jumpers in Scotland. And the Gray brothers climbed all over us, and the line out creaked again at crucial times. And particularly when we went to the corner to go for the try, we lost those lineouts in in, in uh, Scotland, which was psychologically huge for them. But we have struggled against Scotland. No, we didn't struggle against Italy, and we didn't struggle against France because their lineout defence isn't that good. And I said last week, again, going to Cardiff against Wales uh, with Alan Wynne-Jones calling their lineouts, who's a world-class lineout technician. He's brilliant. He will cause us problems. He will cause us problems. They, he, we'll get most of our lineouts, but there'll be key ones we'll want that we'll lose. And that's exactly what happened. And the irony of it is then is when Peter Manny comes in, because that's the only lineout that they were under pressure on, really. Yeah, you know, the one we just And that cost them a five-minute scrum. But Peter Manny comes on the field and suddenly we're competing with them, putting pressure on them. On the other hand, with only two jumpers, they're putting pressure on us, and they don't have too many options in Wales. But that means going to England now. England have their two second rows, okay, launch spray and laws, and then you've got the kind of wrecking ball of a Toji in the line out, who can, yeah. is as quick along the ground as anybody, explosive in the air. So if they cut those three loose against us, and we have the same back row on the field, in other words, in line out options, and the same second row in terms of line out options, the pressure on the line is going to be astronomical. Yeah. Like t t tell us how, because there were examples, there was a five metre line out earlier on, we mentioned Alan Wynne-Jones picks that off. In the second half, around the 60 minute mark, Ireland are back to 15-9, and there's two line outs on this left hand touch line. Um, Wynne-Jones gets up in front of Devon Toner for, to yeah. steal one of them, and then Charter is just on the pitch after Devon Toner has left. Ireland seems to completely botch their call. Well, that was how surprising because Devon is calling the line outs as far as I know. And I could be wrong yeah, here, no, but my understanding yeah. is since Paul O'Connell left, Devon is calling the line outs, and he does a good job in it. But his, with you only two jumpers, your options are limited, really. You, okay, we've got guys in the, uh, in the tail like Jamie Eastley who can jump, but they're not go-to guys. So that the defence know that they're really two guys they need to put pressure on. So taking off Devon then, who's calling the lineups, and they bring on Charters, who's as tall as Devon. You're like, no, that doesn't help the situation. Now, in fairness, we did our substitution before them. Yeah, but having said that, Charters comes on and straight away he's in the air and he, he causes... He hasn't even lifted, he just... Yeah, he's, like he's, he's the same calibre as Devin Toner in terms of the line -up. So, look, I think this we've got to look at this problem going into to, to England. We, I don't believe we can go into England with two line jumpers, two established line jumpers. If you look at even the height across their back row, uh, we're under pressure. Um, you know, now I know Vinopola will come back probably to start, mm. which will lower the t one of their jumpers. But even last weekend, if you went toe to toe last weekend, their shortest um, back row is, is the same height as our tallest back row. So nothing good is going to happen there unless we get another option into the lineout. And that means a change in the back row. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where, where Joe goes. We're going to take another question. This is from uh, Dan. He says, How do you approach senior players who are not performing? Do you think that's fair? Are there senior guys there who are not performing to the required level? I don't think that's quite a the way I'd coach it. I think guys are, are struggling, but I think they're struggling within the game we're playing. Um, I mean, the classic one that we talked about is Sean O'Brien. I think Sean O'Brien's working his socks off. But teams are shutting him down because they know where he is and they know how to find him when he gets the ball. And, like, guys, are, we're not getting a lot of work done with the possession we have, you know. So I think it's more like looking at strategy. I think the players are really underperforming. I mean, nobody for a second is suggesting that the Irish lads on Friday didn't 
like run their guts out or play themselves to an exhaustion. You know, the intensity of that game was phenomenal, and I think the guys gave a hundred percent right across the board, and they made mistakes, but it wasn't for lack of effort. So all you can do is in that situation is you've got to keep guys' energy up. You've got to encourage guys. You know, you can help guys if they're making mistakes, but I don't think it's a case of anyone underperforming. You know, uh, I, I don't buy into that that, that narrative, and I, I think next Saturday. It, it's not going to be an issue either. It'll be whether we can tactically outmaneuver England and we can contain them when they have the ball defensively from our perspective. They're the real things. It's not going to be about effort or guys underperforming. That's not going to be an issue next mm. weekend. Well, thanks, Dan, for the question. Uh, we're, we're going to look at some of those. Uh, well, one example of England being very difficult to contain. Their set-piece was absolutely brilliant against uh, Scotland. Set-piece attack. This is the second Jonathan Joseph try, and it's a, a line-out attack. They actually have a kind of unique little formation. It's just a small tweak. Owen Farrell is actually the receiver uh, in that kind of scrum half position at yep. the end of the line-out, and, and Youngs comes from the front, uh, and he, he sends the pass to Farrell as the first receiver, getting across that 50-metre line. So already there's a, a slight shift for, for that Scotland defence. We picked out Hamish Watson um, coming forward there at, at pace, and he kind of gets ahead of the defensive line, but Farrell uh, chose this screen pass behind the big ball carrier, Nathan Hughes, to, uh, to George Ford, those two playmakers we mentioned. And Ford gets to the line. He actually straightens up really well. Um, so, you know, he's drifting obviously on that pass initially, but he straightens back up the pitch um, and draws in Dunbar uh, and then Joseph gets on that really good hard line. But you also have the option to go out the back door yeah. there. They to go out the back, is, it's the same. There's yeah. going to be a try here no matter what yeah. happens. And the thing is the that ball. his decision makes so good that I think he can do yeah. that at a late stage. Like we've got it set up here. How, like for, for Ireland, how are they going to go about defending that? Because it seems like they're multiple brilliant options and the fact that those two playmakers are, are making the, the Well I think time. one of the things I've always is that you use two two tail gunners. You don't you instead of playing one tail gunner here, you get you can get one tail gunner who'll sit down here for the first set of hands, the second tail gunner, and then you've got your, your backs out. Yeah. All right. And tail gunner being the guy who's yeah. basically we're talking about the guy coming from the end of the Yeah, line. yeah, yeah. The other tail gunners. Yeah. Now yeah. sometimes just one tail gunner. I like to yeah. all use two. And the two guy the, that say inside tail gunner takes the threat around the corner, which would be yeah. effectively uh, in that case, it would be Farrell. Okay. And then everyone's got to play out one channel. So there's no problem with numbers. And then the next thing you've got to do, and you can get into the nitty gritty here, here and here, here and there. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Once you, you once you number off then your channels, you hold the line. But Scotland got into a panic mode. They've started biting down. And once, once that pass went behind Hughes and it ended up here, you, yeah. had, a, you had about three Scottish players trapped in here. And, and then Jones is left and attached then, almost. Yeah, yeah, Jones is left like on his own. So if Jones bites down, it goes out the back, but Jones went out, it goes through yeah. the middle. And the, the thing here about England, which you have to admire, they have two things going from them. They have two fantastic playmakers, Farrell and Ford, excellent with the ball in hand, who are also threats themselves, not just distributors. Yeah. Both of them go into the line with options, and then the, the quality of the lines they're running off them are top drawer. Everybody is a threat. You have to respect everybody. But if you sell yourself short at the start, you, you get too many guys trapped in the box here, as we call it, and you don't get your tail gunners tagged on, then you're going to get killed somewhere along the line. And it didn't matter at the end there who we gave the ball to George Ford. They were going to score anyway. Yeah. But he, he took the simple option and went straight through the guts. But the key to that is, I think, two tail gunners off the tail and holding the line with good spacing. And then the key then is sit, sit back and make a read. Let them run the play. If you let teams run a play, they'll usually give you triggers. If you panic and run up early, you make it easy for them to make the decisions. And with two playmakers like Ford and Farrell, these guys will make the right decision nine times out of ten and they'll skin you. Yeah, interesting. And it kind of refers to one of the questions we've, we've been sent in. Max Brook has sent in, Ringrose or Payne? 
who can deal with Owen Farrell's passing or, or Jonathan Joseph's running at 13? I think you can make an argument for Payne because I think he's experienced now. This is going to be a tough day in the office in the middle of the field. Yeah. Um, and again, look, Ring Rose, I think, has been outstanding. I think he's appeared really, really well. He's grown into the position. Um, and if you're saying, oh, let's talk to the next World Cup, but we'll keep the two young fellas together, that's, that's one argument. But trying to get, this is a one-off game. It's the end of the championship. You want to stop England. You want to kind of, you know, get, get out of the Six Nations with some credibility. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to get the job done. I think Payne, if he's up to speed. Now, the question here is, he's got to look at him in training this week. If, like, if Jared Payne is 10% off on Saturday because he's in match practice, then that's a bad deal as well. But if Jared Payne is right up to speed, I think his experience with Henshaw in the middle of the field, for me, defensively, uh, makes a compelling reason to get him back in there. That's tough on Gary Ringrose, but this is how it works. You know, it's game by game, and if that's the best combination. Now, the other possibility is he looks at maybe Rob Carr. He could leave the midfield attack, put Payne back to full-back. I don't know. That's a possibility as well. Mm. Um, but in terms of the midfield scenario, I think, yeah, I think, to me, there's a case for bringing Payne back. If he's up to speed, but his experience on defence could make a big difference on Saturday against that, that English backline. Okay, make a call on Eddie. Which way is it going to go on Saturday? Uh, I'd like to say Ireland, yeah, of course I would. Um, I think if, you can never say one or the other, except that if Ireland play a more varied game, and we've seen it, I can say, we've seen it in Scotland two years ago, went from the off, we were chasing points and we went after Scotland. I think we've nothing to lose on Saturday. If we play like that, if we move the ball, if we keep England moving, we get into the white challenge, we keep the ball, um, we move the strike point and move the playmakers, I think we have a chance. Defensively, we're going to be rock solid. Though. Um, I have a chance, but I don't know if we can get that done in a week. So my, my worry is England. Yeah, big questions, Ed. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to everyone for the great questions, and we'll be back to look back on the championship overall. Cheers.